Last week, we started a new sermon series called Questions About Spiritual Gifts. And we're focusing on the supernatural spiritual gifts like prophecy and healing and tongues and interpretation because those are topics on which people who love Jesus Christ can agree to disagree. People have different viewpoints on them. But church leaders can't just say, hey, we'll just agree to disagree. Church leaders, our conviction is, need to study God's Word and then share with the church, here's what we believe God's Word is teaching on this topic and here's how we're going to move ahead on this topic. So that's what we've done here at Grace Church. The steering team has been studying this topic. We taught a couple week series a year ago. We've been praying for God to bring His gifts. We've seen some growth in that area. Here we are a year later. We want to pursue it again, raise some more questions, dig a little deeper. And so we've asked you to send in your questions. Thank you for your questions. And a number of you have had questions about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is connected to the topic of spiritual gifts. I didn't think we were going to have questions on that topic, but I, I understand why. And so the steering team thought, let's focus on that question today. Now, in the global church, there are really three different views that people have about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. One view is that the baptism of the Spirit takes place after conversion, at a later time after conversion, and that it's always marked by the experience of speaking in tongues. So that's the traditional Pentecostal view, and we love our Pentecostal brothers and sisters who lift up the name of Jesus and who preach God's Word. We are grateful for them, but the steering team doesn't think that's what the Bible's teaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit entirely. But we, we love them, right? Okay, we're all friends. We're all on the same team together. Uh, a second view is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit takes place not after conversion, but at conversion, and that it's not marked by any particular experience. They might say that when you pray to trust Christ, you, you probably won't feel anything different, but the Holy Spirit will come upon you because the Bible says that He does. And we love our evangelical brothers and sisters who hold to that view. We love their honor for the Lord, how God's powerfully using them, but, but we're not persuaded that that's entirely right either, we find ourselves resonating more with this third group, this third view, which would teach that the baptism of the Holy Spirit does take place at conversion. It's not a separate second experience. It takes place at conversion, but it is marked by an experience, a powerful experience of the Holy Spirit making the presence of God the Father and Jesus the Son real in our hearts, helping us not just see the truth about Jesus, but feel the truth of Jesus. So we love him, we behold him, we worship him. He becomes our life and our joy and our treasure. And that's our conviction as a leadership team. Now, I know we have lots of different backgrounds here. And so here's what I'm going to try to do this morning. I'm going to try to persuade you of that third view, okay? And again, what's most important for you this morning is the Bible. Not what I say, what this says. So I'm going to try to show you from the Bible why I believe that third view is what the Bible teaches. But your job isn't to take my word for it. Your job is to say, okay, I'm going to study that and see if I agree. Right? Because we want you to be founded on the word of God, not on Pastor Steve's words or any other leader's words, God's words in the word of Scripture. Deal? Deal. Let's do that. Okay. 
So let's start with this question. Why is the baptism of the Holy Spirit so important? I want to raise that question because some of you maybe have been raised in a Christian background where that, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was never even talked about, just not even discussed. And, and I don't think that's, that's right. Let me give you two reasons or two scriptures for why it is so important. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse 8. Now, this is about John the Baptist. John the Baptist was sent before Jesus came in his public ministry. John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. And so he was out in the wilderness by the Jordan River, and he was baptizing people, and he was preaching. And what did he preach? Part of what he preached is right here in Mark chapter 1, verse 8. Here's what he says. I have baptized you with water, but he, Jesus, the Messiah, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So one of John's main points as he was preaching to these people is, don't focus on me, I'm just baptizing you with water. That's important, but the Messiah, when he comes, when Jesus comes, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So thousands of John the Baptist listeners would have been looking forward to the coming of Jesus because when he comes, he's going to baptize us with the Holy Spirit. That shows how important this is. Look also at Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5 to see some more reasons why this is so important. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Here's the background. Jesus had already died on the cross to pay for our sins. He'd risen from the dead. And now before he ascends into heaven, he's teaching crucial truths to the apostles. And notice some of the crucial truths he taught them in verses 4 and 5. He says, and while staying with them, he, Jesus, while he was staying with the apostles, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait, very important word, to wait for the promise of the Father, which he, Jesus, said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So notice another reason the baptism of the Spirit is so important is because it was the promise of the Father. All through the Old Testament, God had promised the day will come when He is going to pour out His Spirit in a lavish way upon thirsty hearts. Isaiah 44, chapter 3, Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. So it's important because it was promised all through the Old Testament. It was also important because those four words right there at the end of verse 4, you heard from me. Jesus also taught about the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, just like John baptized you with water, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now notice those last five words, though, in verse 5, not many days from now. So Jesus tells the apostles, I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, that is, not right now, but, but soon. But weren't the apostles already Christians? Yes. Weren't they already trusting Jesus? Yes. So they, even though they were saved, needed to wait for the baptism of the Spirit. So is that what we will experience as well? Do we become saved first and then need to wait for the baptism of the Spirit? I think the answer to that is no. Let me show you why. Let's ask the question, when are we baptized with the Holy Spirit? 
and look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. This is when the apostles and all the early believers were baptized with the Spirit. Look at what happens. And I want to show you why I don't think we now today need to wait. Verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. With 120, all the believers at the time, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here's the day of Pentecost. And they are all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they all start to speak in other tongues, which means that the Holy Spirit gives them the ability to speak in languages that they'd never learned. They're glorifying and praising God in, in languages they'd never learned before. Now, we're going to talk more about speaking in tongues next week, Lord willing. But what I want to focus on is what this tells us about when we're baptized in the Holy Spirit. If we just had this passage, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it looks like people are baptized with the Spirit after they're saved, because the apostles, 120, were already saved. That's why our Pentecostal brothers and sisters believe the way that they do. Right? We can see why. It's because of this passage right here. That is what happened to the apostles back then, but I don't think that's what happens to us who live after Pentecost. And the reason is because of what Peter preaches to thousands of people in Acts chapter 2, a few verses later, verse 38. Here's the background. Remember, 120, Holy Spirit's poured out. They're speaking in languages they've never learned. They're heading out in the streets glorifying and praising God in these other languages. Pentecost means that Israel was filled with people from other countries, Israel, Jewish people from other countries, and each of their countries has their own foreign languages. So the, these visitors to Jerusalem are hearing 120. They're speaking out praise to God in, in the visitors' own languages, which they'd never, the believers had never learned before. So many of them were like astonishing. This is a miraculous thing. They're speaking the works of God in languages that they've never learned in their own languages. Some were amazed. Others thought they'd been drinking too much. And so Peter stands up and he preaches to thousands of people. And here's what he says. You can read the whole thing for yourself. He says, we've not been drinking too much. This is what God promised in the Old Testament. He sent the Messiah, Jesus, who died on the cross to pay for our sins. And he rose from the dead. You killed him, but he rose from the dead. And now, just as God promised, he is pouring out exactly what he said he would. He's poured out the Holy Spirit upon us. But you crucified the Messiah, the Lord. And the people were gripped and convicted. And they said, what should we do? And look at what Peter says in verse 38. Peter, says, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. That's water baptism. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter calls them to repent, just like Luke was talking to us about earlier this morning. 180 degrees, where you, you turn from your sin, put your trust in Jesus. Repentance, there's two sides. You turn from sin, you turn to trust Jesus. So repentance and faith in Christ, and then to express that faith in the waters of baptism. 
Now, I just want to make a little side comment here. That can sound like water baptism is essential in order to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but that's not what happens in Acts 10, where while the message is still being preached, the Holy Spirit's poured out upon them before they're baptized. Just put that little side note there. But Peter says, because baptism is important, he says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then notice the promise, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now think about that language. Imagine that you're one of Peter's listeners, and he said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When would you have thought you'd receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? Right then after you'd repented and been baptized, right? Let me see if this makes any sense. If I said to you, walk down the street, go into the bank, and you'll get a gift of money, when would you think you'd get the gift of money? Right after you walked down the street and went into the bank. Where's the money? It'd be right there, right? And so when Peter says, repent and be baptized, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, all of his listeners would have heard, right now. And that's what happened. At the point of conversion, they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Acts chapter 2, verse 38, is what we should preach to everyone after Pentecost. Put your trust in Jesus Christ, repent, show your faith through baptism. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit right then, right there. We should all be preaching what Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Now, if that's true, and I believe it is, why did the apostles have to wait? Good question, right? Why did the apostles have to wait? And the passage that helped me understand that, I hope it'll help you understand that, is John chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. Go ahead and turn there. It'll be up here on the screen. Here's one of the places where Jesus teaches about the baptism of the Spirit. He doesn't use that phrase, but that's what he's talking about here. I love this passage, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, so here's the setting, it's a big old feast in Jerusalem. So there's priests marching and they're carrying pitchers of water, I forget all the details, but there's a massive crowd out there and Jesus stands up and here's what he shouts out. Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John explains, now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive in the future. For as yet, the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So here Jesus is talking about the baptism of the Spirit, the promise of the Father, but he says that they had not yet received the Spirit because the Spirit had not yet been given. Now what does that mean? We know that all through the Old Testament, thousands of Old Testament saints, men, women, young people, had experienced powerful outpourings of the Holy Spirit, right? David in your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forever. David and thousands of believers in the Old Testament knew the work of the Holy Spirit. So what does Jesus mean when he says the Holy Spirit had not yet been given? Notice the reason 
that Jesus gives for why the Holy Spirit had not yet been given. It's because Jesus was not yet glorified. Okay, now what does that mean? Let me explain it like this. The most precious gift God can give to you, the most precious gift is the gift of the Holy Spirit because it's by the Holy Spirit that the presence, the beauty, the glory of God the Father and Jesus the Son are made real to you in your heart so that you don't just know facts, but you feel reality. The Holy Spirit reveals God the Father in His beauty and glory, pours Jesus' love into our hearts. And so by the Holy Spirit, we know God the Father, we know Jesus the Son personally. So the most precious gift God can give you is the gift of the Holy Spirit by whom you will know and experience and feel the very presence of God the Father and Jesus the Son. But now God wants to make it absolutely clear to all of humanity that the only way any sinful human being can receive this most precious gift of the Spirit is because Jesus suffered on the cross and paid for our sins in our place. And so God had the cross be a public display of how sins could be forgiven through God's wrath being poured out upon his own son on the cross, a public display, and then God followed that with a public outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. So everybody would see, first comes Jesus paying for our sins, then comes the gift of the Holy Spirit. We could never experience such a precious gift apart from God's mercy paying for our sins on the cross. So for those believers who lived before Pentecost, they needed to wait until Pentecost for that public outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because that showed all of us, all of humanity, that first comes the cross, then comes the public outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? That's why the apostles had to wait. That's why Jesus said to them, wait for the Holy Spirit. Because the day of Pentecost hadn't come yet. He had died, he'd been raised from the dead, but the day of Pentecost is when God's going to publicly pour out the Spirit so we can see public payment for sin on the cross and public outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's how it works. We come to Pentecost through the cross, through trusting Jesus. That's how we arrive at Pentecost. Does that make sense? So, that's why Jesus said to the apostles, wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's why Peter preached after Pentecost, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, wait. Peter said, repent and be baptized and you will receive. No waiting. So that's why our conviction is that the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, takes place at conversion. Because Acts 2.38 is how we preach now that Pentecost has happened. Now, quick walk through the rest of the book of Acts. There's three other places in Acts where the Holy Spirit is powerfully poured out in ways that are... I mean, it happens many other times, but Luke chooses these three. Acts chapter 8, Philip goes to Samaria, preaches the gospel. Samaria was an area where there's great racial hostility between Samaria and Jewish people. Hardly talk to each other, great animosity there. But Philip goes and preaches the gospel. Lots of Samaritan believers hear the good news, repent, put their trust in Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit isn't poured out yet until Peter and John come from Jerusalem. Apostles come from Jerusalem, lay their hands on these Samaritans, and the Holy Spirit is poured out. Now, why the delay? Lots of people give lots of reasons. Our Pentecostal brothers and sisters say, well, because there's always a delay. 
I'm not sure that's the right answer. I think it's because the apostles wanted to show, God wanted to show that the Samaritans are part of the church. We're not going to have a Jewish church and a Samaritan church. We're going to have one church, just like we have one church here, all different races. Jesus knits our hearts together. No matter what animosities have been there, he melts those animosities. He makes us love each other. And that's what the apostles demonstrated by going and laying their hands on them. That's Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 10. Peter goes to Cornelius and his household, Gentiles this time, preaches, and I said earlier, while he was still preaching about Jesus' love, dying on the cross, God sent him, you can be completely forgiven for your sins. He will pour his Holy Spirit out upon you while Peter was still preaching. They're putting their trust in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's being poured out upon them, and they're baptized with the Spirit right while Peter's still preaching before they got baptized. And that's a perfect picture of how it works. It's at the point of conversion. Third instance in Acts, it's chapter 19. This is what's interesting. P uh, Paul meets up with some of John the Baptist's disciples. And they'd been baptized by John the Baptist, but they'd never heard Jesus' teaching. They'd never heard the gospel, the full gospel. They'd been baptized through John's baptism, but that was it. Paul says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. So they, clearly they were missing some big parts of the puzzle picture here, right? And so Paul says, okay, let me tell you the gospel. He preaches Jesus to them, the cross, the resurrection. What he'll do, he'll pour out his Holy Spirit. Okay, they put their trust in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's poured out upon them right then and there, which I think shows that once people hear the gospel and put their trust in Jesus Christ, God baptizes them with the Holy Spirit. So except for Acts chapter 8, it's clear that it happens at the point of conversion. Acts 8, a little puzzling. I've given you my best shot at what's going on there. But that's why we believe that the baptism with the Holy Spirit takes place not after conversion, but at conversion. Okay, now what about the idea that the baptism of the Spirit is always um, evidenced by the experience of speaking in tongues? We believe in the gift of tongues here at Grace Church. Don't want in any way put that gift down, but I don't think it's right to say that the baptism of the Spirit is always marked by that gift. Tongues often accompanies the baptism of the Spirit, which we see in the book of Acts. You see that there. It's clear. We already read that this morning. But I don't think it's right to say that this is what always happens because of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12. I'll show you two different passages. First, Verse 13, here's what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. He says, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Now, that Greek, those, those Greek words, baptized and in and spirit, every other time those words are used together, there's six other times, it's always about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. So this is not talking about water baptism in this verse. This verse is talking about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. So in one spirit, we were all baptized, and that joins us together in one body. Jews, Greeks, Samaritans, Jews, right? The whole thing. Slaves are free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. And notice those words, all. We were all baptized. We all experienced the baptism of the Spirit. We were all made to drink of one spirit. So everybody Paul's writing to has experienced this. I think the implication is every believer's experienced this, but think about it. So everybody Paul is writing this letter to has experienced this. They've all been baptized with the Spirit. Now, does that mean they all speak in tongues? 
No, because of verses 29 and 30, same chapter. Look at what Paul says. Are all apostles? What's the answer? No. Okay, it's not a trick question. The answer is no. Um, we know that because we are not all apostles and because there's a Greek word that you can put into a question which shows that the answer is always no. And that Greek word is in every one of these questions here. So all are not apostles. And Paul is not asking, are all apostles like at every meeting? He's not talking about meetings here. He's talking about in the body of Christ. All are not apostles. Are all prophets? The answer is no. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Some do, praise God, but not all. Do all possess gifts of healings? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. So it's clear from verses 29 and 30 that not everyone in the body of Christ speaks in tongues. Verse 13, they've all experienced the baptism of the Spirit. They've all drunk of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. But they do not all speak in tongues. Do you see that? So I don't think it's accurate to say that the baptism of the Spirit is always evidenced by speaking in tongues. So what does happen when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit? What experience does mark the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? And we already see there in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians 12, we're all made to drink of one Spirit, drinking of the Holy Spirit. Uh, remember Jesus in John 7, Whoever believes, in me from, whoever believes in me from out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then Paul in Romans chapter 5, verse 5 says, God pours his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So those are three. There's lots of other passages, but those are three of the big passages that I think describe what we experience when Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. And the picture is we're thirsty people, right? They're all like water, liquid metaphors, right? We are thirsty people. Our hearts are hungry for joy, meaning, peace, pleasure. Our hearts are empty and longing. That's who we are. And the only place where our heart thirsts will be satisfied is in knowing God through the person of Jesus Christ. Nowhere else are you going to be satisfied. Nothing else will satisfy your heart thirsts other than knowing God in the person of Jesus. And when we turn from our sin and put our trust in Jesus Christ, we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, which means we are enabled to see and to feel the truth of Jesus Christ. Jesus pours the living water of the Holy Spirit into our thirsty souls, and for, for the first time, those thirsts are quenched because we see and we feel Jesus' glory and his beauty and God the Father's majesty. And we don't just know about Jesus and God the Father, but we feel the truth of God the Father and of Jesus. And he is so glorious, so majestic. His love is so beautiful that our hearts are completely satisfied to the point of overflowing. Rivers of living water are flowing out of us. That's the experience that's involved with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an illustration from the life of one of my heroes, George Whitfield. Powerful evangelist, England, 1700s. Here's what happened to him when he put his trust in Jesus. He said, after a long time of struggle, 
God enabled me to lay hold on his dear son by a living faith. Remember, how do you get to Pentecost? Through the cross, right? First the cross, then Pentecost. So he laid hold of God's dear son by a living faith. He turned from his sin. He trusted Jesus to forgive him, to change him, to fill him. And then he says, and oh, with what joy, joy unspeakable. Now, what is unspeakable joy? That's like indescribable joy, right? I can't even describe the joy I'm feeling to you. That's what he's talking about. Oh, with what joy, joy unspeakable, even joy that was full of and big with glory. It's God's glory that he's rejoicing in. Was my soul filled when the weight of sin went off and an abiding sense of the pardoning love of God and the full assurance of faith broke in upon my disconsolate, sad, empty soul. So this abiding sense of the love of God, the guilt of sin lifted off, this, the love of God was poured into his soul, full assurance of salvation was given. George Whitfield was baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit makes Jesus and the cross, and his resurrection, and his love so real to us that our hearts are filled with joy in him. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the experience that marks the baptism of the Spirit. Now, one of the reasons I want to mention this and stress this is I've talked to some of you, and, and, and you're from backgrounds of churches where it was taught that the baptism of the Spirit was always marked by speaking in tongues. And so as people were praying for you, you knew that was the expectation, and and you were hungry for God, and you thought, well, if tongues has something to do with this, I'm going to, I'm going to try to speak in tongues. Maybe, maybe that's how this is all going to happen. And so you, you try to speak in tongues, and then the people praying for you say, it's happened. It's happened. Look, it's happened. He's speaking in tongues. It's done. You're baptized. And, and many of you are sitting here thinking, okay, I guess, I guess that's it. I mean, I, I'm trying to speak in tongues, and people are thinking, saying it's, it's happened. And see, you, you may be confused and puzzled because you haven't experienced the fullness of what God wants to give you because you've thought you've already gotten it and, and you haven't. Not that you're not saved. Trusting Jesus, okay? Does that make sense? There's a danger in linking these if they're not linked biblically. What we're pressing in for is, I want to behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. I want to love you more. Pour your love into my heart. Open my eyes. Enlighten the eyes of my heart. Show me your beauty and your majesty. That's what we're pressing in on, and God will pour that upon you, and that's being baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're filled. You're empowered. You're assured. You're strengthened. You're loving. You're caring. You're witnessing. You're bold. You're transformed. That's the experience that marks the baptism of the Spirit. Okay, what does this mean for us? Let me give you three takeaways, although one, just so study these things this week. I'm sure some of you are thinking, hmm, hmm, okay, that's good. You can do that. Then go home and open up your Bible, read, study. The Bible's what's important here. But let me give you these three takeaways. First of all, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, turn to him now and trust him. Just like Luke said earlier, his arms are opened wide to you. Yes, you've sinned against God. I have too. We all have, horribly. And he went to the cross and was punished in our place. So we wouldn't need to be punished. 
And when you put your trust in Jesus, his death paying for sins becomes his death paying for your sins. And all your sins are forgiven. And not only are all your sins forgiven, but he will pour out his Holy Spirit upon you. He'll give you the most precious gift in the universe, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit making the presence, the beauty, the glory of Jesus real to you. He will do that. So turn to Jesus this morning. I mean, look at Jesus and his love on the cross. Look at his care for you in purchasing such a precious gift for you. you my dad likes to say, you can trust Gethsemane love. Remember Gethsemane where Jesus prayed, wept, sweat like blood from him. He was, if this cup can be taken from me, take it from me. But he pressed in and he went to the cross. You can trust Gethsemane love. He loves you that much. You can turn to him and trust him. Trust him now. Second, if you're trusting Jesus, but you're not sure you've experienced being baptized with the Holy Spirit, what should you do? I would encourage you to turn to him and ask him for more. Maybe when you first trusted Christ, you were in a, in a setting where they, they told you, pray this prayer, and you, you won't feel anything differently, but you'll know the Holy Spirit has come upon you because the Bible said that it will, he will. See, I don't think that's helpful to say. I don't think that's right. I think Paul would have scratched his head and said, you won't feel any different? I think Paul would have puzzled at that. But see, the problem is if you were led to Christ in that way, that could have quenched some of the work of the Spirit. Not that you weren't saved, but that you weren't experiencing the full gift that God intended to give to you. It's very possible. So I would encourage you, if you're not sure if you've experienced this or not, don't waste any time thinking about the past. Just like right now today, pray. Say, God, pour out your Spirit upon me. Jesus, baptize me afresh with the Holy Spirit. You know, we can, we can experience more baptisms, more fillings of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't all stop then, right? So open up God's Word. Pray, put on some worship music. Maybe have somebody lay hands on you and pray for you and say, God, more. I want more of your work in my life. I want to know you more. Pour out your spirit upon me more. Listen, do you understand there is more? There is more. And that's my third takeaway. If you are trusting Jesus and have experienced this, seek him for more. Don't rest on what happened two years ago. I was baptized with the Holy Spirit two years ago. Wonderful. Or what happened 20 years ago wonderful. But there's more. Paul prays that we would be filled up with all the fullness of God in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 3. Are you experiencing that? I don't think I am. There is more for us, more dimensions of God's glory to be seen and God's love to be felt and God's nearness to be experienced. There is more. So press in for more. How do you do that? You repent afresh, and, and that's important because you do realize that if you're holding on to some known sin, if you're holding on to known sin, that quenches the work of the Holy Spirit, right? It's the Holy Spirit. And if you're holding on to some unholiness, it's not going to work. So you don't need to be perfect to receive the baptism of the Spirit. None of us are. But we need to say, 
there's, here's this area of sin. It's, it's gripping me. Help me with it. You're, you're opening your hand to Jesus saying, would you please take this? You want to be freed from it. That's all he's asking for. He'll move in and go to work, right? He will free you from that. He will fill you. So that puny pleasure, are you kidding? When I can have Jesus Christ and know him? It's called the, the expulsive power of a new affection. Anyway, so repair sin. Doesn't mean you become perfect. Doesn't mean you change yourself. Doesn't mean you overcome all your own sin. It means you say, Jesus, I don't want to sin anymore. This area, this area, this area, help me. You're repentant. You're broken. You're confessing. And then you trust Jesus. And you open up your Bible and you say, Show me your glory. Put on some worship music. Show me your beauty. Come, have somebody lay hands on you and pray for you. Pour out your spirit upon me. And he will again and again and again. Luke 11, 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will my Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Luke chapter 11, verse 13. Grace Church, no matter what you've experienced in the past or, or haven't experienced in the past, let's be a church which is pressing on for more. We are hungry for you, God. Hosea 6, 3, so let us know let us press on to know the Lord. As surely as the dawn, here's the promise, as surely as the dawn, he will come like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. As surely as the dawn, he will come. Grace Church, let's press on to know the Lord. Now, worship team, why don't you guys come on up? I want to pray over us because we're going to use this last song to pray and to be asking God to do this. So Lord, I pray. Let's stand together. I'll pray. Father, I pray that you would touch each heart here. Those here who have not yet come to the place where they've repented of their sin and put their trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior and treasure, right now, Lord, bring your power upon them. Right now, break down any last walls that are built up. Right now, soften their hearts, Lord, I pray. Show them your love. Show them your reality. Show them your glory. Bring them to their knees before you, I pray, in Jesus' name. And Lord, those who aren't sure if they've been baptized by the Spirit, they know they're trusting you, Lord, I pray that right now, Lord, you would stir their heart, give them faith, give them fresh hunger for you. And Lord, all of us, we want to press on for more. Lord, we want to be a church which is filled with your Holy Spirit. Abu Dhabi needs believers which are filled with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Don't pass us by here for your glory, for your honor, for the sake of lost people around us. Pour out your Spirit upon us, Lord, we